0: to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you have it, say amen. amen. Therefore, I exalt, first of all, that supplications, prayer, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires that all men be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be Testified in due time for which I was appointed a preacher, and apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Men without wrath and doubting. Father, we bless you and we thank you for this time that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want to also thank each and every one of you for praying for me that I do have a portion of my voice back. Amen. (laughs) Amen. And I'm also glad that I was obedient, even though I sounded like Kermit the Frog. There's an old Chinese proverb that I learned in college and it goes like this. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. The journey of becoming aware, an aware church for maximum impact, radical relevant rebooting starts with a single step today, the first sermon. We take that step today. And as I was thinking about that, I was reminded that the Earth takes approximately 24 hours to rotate around its axis. That means every 12 hours, we have a new day which is followed very faithfully without any uh, difference in terms of the order that God has established by 12 hours of night. It takes 365 days for the earth to rotate around the sun. I used to think it was the opposite. <laughs> During that time, we experienced seasons and the end of an old year with the start of a brand new year. Aside from the miracle of God's creation, what struck me was the speed that he moves this place called planet Earth around the sun. The Earth rotates around the sun one second at a time. That reminds me of the fact that you just study as the work Earth was just a little faster, just a little, all of these magnificent things that makes it very clear that there is a creator who designed the universe. But more than that, for our purposes today, God is not in a hurry to accomplish his purposes in the world, but he's always on time. He's never late. But more often than not, he tells us to do his will one increment at a time, he says, this I say, walk in the spirit. He doesn't say run. doesn't say jog. But or one step at a time. Walk in the spirit so you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh because the two are contrary one to another, for they are at war one with another. And so that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, we need to take one step at a time. And so as we proceed in becoming a church that's just not like the church up the street, and uh, radical, and relevant, and, and, and rebooting. That is serving the Lord with an eternal perspective in mind. That's what it means to reboot, that our perspective, every strike of the nail, every shot of the, the as we use the arrows of the word of God through the scripture of the word of God, because God's word is a weapon. God's word is a weapon. We want it to be with eternal perspective in mind, rebooting. We want it to be radical. We want to have passion in our service for the Lord. We want to see folk dancing for the Lord, just like you did at that wedding last week. Do people get married in the winter? I don't know. But what you do, you had a good time. And how are we going to be dancing when the Eagles beat the Chicago Bears tonight? Some of us are going to be dancing around the house, and nobody's going to have to ask us to dance. Amen. Or if you hit the lottery that you shouldn't be playing anyway, you would be dancing. You might not be in church no more, but you would be. And we want to be relevant. We want to serve with purpose. We don't want to just have ministries. There ought to be a reason for everything that we do that's connected with the overall vision for this house. And so one step at a time. And what the Lord said to me as I was kind of determined, how do we get this thing started? He said, start at the beginning. Start at the beginning. And that actually sounds redundant and maybe even rhetorical. But in order for anything of significance to occur, you have to start at the beginning. And from God's vantage point, from his way of accomplishing things in the world, nothing that is significant will ever happen without starting at the beginning. And the beginning for God is prayer. We're not going to have any kind of impact on this community and your family if this church is not solidly founded on a commitment to pray. Now, as we come to the chapter before us today in 2 Timothy, this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul from a Roman dungeon where he was approaching his last days upon the earth. And so he is inspired by the Spirit of God to write what we now call the prison epistles. Timothy and Titus were written to individual pastors of churches. I believe that Timothy was a pastor of the church at Ephesus while Titus was a pastor of Crete in the city of Crete. And in 1 Timothy, what I want to do is kind of prepare our way for what is said and verse 2 says, therefore, I exhort you first of all that supp- supplications, prayer, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to find out what is there for. And so this word of summation takes us back to chapter 1, where Paul is giving instructions to Pastor Timothy about how to lead the church and how the church is to function. We don't just get to make up how church should go. We find our template in the word of God. And so he says to Timothy in chapter one, he directs his comments to Timothy for his personal pastoral instructions, And he says, you have to deal with false teaching in the church. Deal with false doctrine, Timothy. Teach true doctrine, Timothy. Walk in humility. Give God the glory and fulfill your ministry. So that's the personal message to Timothy in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he says, I talked to you about your private ministry. Chapter 2 is about the public ministry of the church. Chapter 3 has to do with what we call church polity. How should the church run? What kind of leadership should be in the church? We find the model for leadership in the church in chapter three of 1 Timothy. That instruction was given to Pastor Timothy. Here is what you look for, Pastor Timothy, in elders, in deacons, in deaconesses. That's in chapter three. And so he goes from personal instruction, public instruction, Policy and procedure instruction in chapter three. And then he deals with eschatology or prophecy in chapter four. He says, the spirit has expressly spoken to me that in the last days, and then he begins to talk about a great falling away from the church. And then he says, here's what your response as a pastor through the leadership should be to this apostasy, to this great falling away. And then in chapters five through six, he talks about practical instructions for living in the world as Christians. He talks about our relationship to helping people that are widows, et cetera, et cetera, and what your relationship should be to your boss, and how you should teach elders, and so forth. But a book of instruction for how the church should run. Therefore, when the church is gathered, if we are going to make a difference, are you're going to have any power, he says, let me tell you what the, what the gathered, assembled, corporate body of Christ should be focused on. Now, this is the devil's nightmare. If we get this as a church and really commit ourselves to what Paul says should be a priority in public worship, Our church is going to completely be transformed in every regard. Your marriage will be transformed in every regard. Your decisions will be based on, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can. anybody want to ask whatever you will and it will be done? Okay, let's line up with this public instruction for what happens when we do not forsake the assembling together of ourselves as some do. The Bible says, but encouraging and exhorting, strengthening one another even more as the evil day is approaching. And so basically, the secret of all of this, starting at the beginning, is prayer. Prayer. That's your weapon. Now, there are four simple things that I want to say about prayer from this chapter that um, you can uh, go back and search the scripture for yourself and see if what I'm saying is so, But first of all, we're going to see that public prayer by the church is an act of obedience to God. When we pray in public as a congregation, you are obeying God. It's an act of obedience. We're going to also learn that public prayer by the church assures us peace and tranquility, peace and calm. Anybody want some peace and calm? How's your prayer life? Thirdly, we will discover that public prayer by the church pleases God. Not only is it an act of obedience that assures us peace and calm, but it pleases God. And finally, we're going to see that public prayer by the church gives access to God through Christ. We have access to God through Christ when we pray. Somebody say amen. Nobody seems too excited, but ah, praise the Lord, I got mine. I got mine. Prayer, public prayer in the church is an act of obedience. I want you to notice in the scripture, it says, therefore, we already told you what the there was there for. He said, I exhort you, I, I beg you, I plead with you, I urge you. So at the very beginning of what he's going to share about public worship, he's saying, here is what God is directing me to say to you through the superintending, the guiding of the Holy Spirit. He's saying to me to beg you, to plead with you, that when it comes to prayer, that you put it at the top of your list. Prayer is a plea from God to us. Underline that in your Bible. It said, I exhort you. Can you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you about the urgency of prayer? He says, before anything else, and we're going to see, the prayer should be urgent. You know what's interesting about it? um, I've asked the leaders to join me, and um, I want to be a model of what I'm asking them to do. And I realized the first day that I supposed to start this thing, I hadn't done it myself. And the Lord reminded me that prayer is a labor. And and that's why the devil will make all kinds of, uh, uh, set up all kinds of obstacles to prevent us from praying. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so prayer is a plea from God. Prayer is also supposed to be, he probably said, first of all, every time we gather, before we do anything else, as it relates to public ministry, when the church is assembled in in a corporate sense, prayer should be first. We should start and we should end whatever we're doing, even if it's a social gathering, if it involves the church, we need to be praying. You see, prayer gets the attention of the, of the God of heaven, and, and, and prayer is, is what God responds to. And, and Jesus said that men ought to always pray, and if we don't pray, he says you will faint. You will become weak. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He told the disciples, couldn't you pray with me for one hour? He says that watch and pray for the flesh is weak. Spirit is willing. I'm telling you that prayer needs to be priority when we come together as believers. Prayer is to the church what the car, that key fob is to your car. When you go outside and if you have a, a, a more uh, up-to-date modern car, you're going to get in with a key fob. But if you don't have it, you ain't getting in. Without that key fob, you can sit in the car. You can even leave the door open, sit in there. You ain't driving nowhere, not legally. You may know how to jump something and trick it with the computer, but they'll be picking you up later because you're crook. But but I'm talking about if you want to go somewhere legally in your car, you need what ignites the car. You need to have what starts it and what will stop it. and, And prayer is what starts the mind of God moving. Prayer is what opens up the windows of heaven. Prayer. Works. Prayer is a priority required by God. He says, first of all, when we are assembled, or oh, we're going to talk about this, we're two or three or gathered together in my name, Amen. not just to call yourself a church, not just to be able to say, look how many of us there are, but coming together to touch and agree. To come into unity, the church is the only body of human beings that can come from every nation, every creed, every color of people, groups, and be one. Not just in Christ, not just positionally, but practically in the engine, the oil in the engine that makes it run, that makes it possible. Yes, I'm baptized in the same spirit that you are, but when we're talking to our Heavenly Father through prayer, He allows us to walk together as one. I want you to know that sometimes we look at all the wrong things. That's the distraction of the devil. We look at what's going on bad in our marriages, and why can't we get along at work, and why am I so stressed? Why am I so tired? I wonder if you would start with the question, what about my prayer life? What about, how many of you know when you make prayer a priority, all of a sudden you find yourself being able to mount up? The the, the storm was there all the time. But when prayer is saturating your life as a priority, you can mount up with wings of eagles, soaring above your troubles, running without being weary, you walk without fainting. Prayer is a priority. That's required by God. So when I'm praying publicly as a church, and if you're not here, you may be the very person that needs to be praying that's holding up the blessing. You better get here. Don't you be robbing me of my blessing because God done put something on your heart and you didn't get here to say it. You got that last combination. Prayer should be not only a priority in response to the plea of God, but it ought to be plural in form. He says, with with look, look at the verse, he says, first of all, that supplications, prayer, intercession, and giving thanks, it should be all kinds of prayers. All kinds, it should be plural in form. Well, you couldn't have gotten through God, to God. You weren't on your knees. Well, I was driving at the time, and last I know you can't be on your knees and drive at the same time. Well, how did you pray? You didn't close your eyes. Well, when you're driving, you ought to kind of keep your eyes on the road because if you don't, you'll be praying, and you'll open up your eyes. You won't be at work. You'll be in the ambulance. And so he says, prayer ought to be plural, all kinds of prayer petitions and confession, expressions of thanks and praise, supplication. One of the beautiful things that happens when you make a prayer list, when you're journaling, this is how you keep your prayer life alive. This is how it, it, you, you find yourself drawn to that time and talking with God. When your prayer is focused, the Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth all. He said, in other words, you need to be specific if you lack wisdom about a particular thing. So when you're praying specifically, then your prayers will be directed in such a way that when God answers, you know that you got an answer. You shouldn't be praying, oh God bless them. God, how bless them how? I declare if you get if you get serious about this thing and, and pray specifically about all kinds of things, not just give me God, God will begin to answer your prayers and blow your mind. Somebody say amen. Prayer should be plural, prayer should be a priority. It should be in response to the plea of God. It doesn't have to be long. I, I said we're gonna pray an hour a day and that doesn't have to be at one time, but you ought, the Bible said we should pray without ceasing. We ought to be praying all day. But Esther only pr- she prayed, give me one night. That's all she prayed. Lord, one night, if I can get with this brother one what night. What's about to happen to him if I could just get with the king for one night? And guess what? The Lord answered that prayer, and the king Well, I don't know what they did. I don't know all she said. But all when she got that prayer answered, the king changed his decree. Hannah didn't pray for much. She said, "Lord, give me one son." The interesting thing about her prayer, the Bible says, she was in great distress, and she was moving as the spirit of God was totally in control. Her mouth was moving, but no words were coming out. Sometimes the Spirit himself had to make intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered, because you don't even know what to say. And then old carnal Eli, the priest, drunk up in the church. Woman, drunk in the church. And she said, Master, Pastor, I'm not drunk. I'm just asking for one thing. What's that one thing this year you asking God for, that one thing that you're, you believe in God for? The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Don't think if you go to God in doubt that you're going to get anything. What do you believing God for, to, for this year? Asked to pray. Samson said, Lord, one more chance. Have you ever asked God, Lord, if you get me out of this one? <laughs> if you just get me out of this one. Of course, he did. And then you were praying again, Lord, if you just get me out of this next one, <laughs> That's why when we talk about shouting and dancing, some of us shouldn't even need to be asked. All the stuff that God has delivered you from, I, I know I ought to be dead. I should be locked up under the jail because of the stupid things that I didn't have sense enough not to do. But the Lord, but the Lord saw fit. To look beyond my weaknesses, beyond my ignorance, beyond my sin, beyond my fault. And he saw my need, and I'm grateful. The thief on the cross didn't have time to get in. Our oh, Father, where you No, he said, Lord, when you get into your kingdom. He didn't even ask for a mansion. He said, Lord, just remember me. If I've got to be a doorkeeper in the kingdom, just remember me. And Jesus answered that prayer. He said, today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Prayer should be particular. He said, pray for kings and for all who are in authority. You ought to be praying for the pastor and the elders and the deacons. And if you're watching Fox News, God, if you're watching CNN or Fox News or some of these other, the only reason you should be watching, yes, you ought to be informed, but let those programs be a basis for developing a prayer list to pray for those who are in authority. Yes. Or else you're going to be having nightmares. <laughs> Where's your prayer list? Who are you praying for that's in authority? I I, I know you said some things about those who are in authority. You feel some kind of way about, but the Lord says, pray for those. Pray for those who are in authority. When's the last time you prayed for the president, the vice president, Congress, and the Senate? I ain't talking about those four choice choice words, those letter four letters. I'm talking about genuinely going before the Lord and praying on behalf. You know, the reason why we ought to do it is because prayer is to the church what the umbilical cord is to the fetus in its mother's womb. All of the nourishment that the baby needs to To grow and to develop properly the blood, the oxygen, and the most important thing that we've now learned, that not only is nourishment and oxygen and blood going into that fetus for its survival, but the more calm and and, and at peace the mother is, the calmer that child will be. When that, that umbilical cord, for whatever reason, becomes obstructed, becomes blocked, Some babies are born with the umbilical cord, they're healthy full term, but they're born with with mental challenges, mental deficiencies, or even dead, because the umbilical cord didn't function in the proper way. I want you to know that prayer is the believer's lifeline. The Lord said, I will provide all of your needs according to my riches and glory, but you have not. Because you what? You ask not. You saying when you don't pray for a day, for a week, for a month. Lord, I can do this on my own. You may be doing it on your own, but you're doing it in the strength of your flesh. And your flesh will fail you. I wonder if your spiritual umbilical cord is intact. I wonder if you're receiving nourishment from heaven. God is sending it. You have to receive it. In order to receive it, you've got to be in a position to respond to it. And our response to what God is doing is to cry out to him. That's what prayer is. Ain't nothing fancy about it. Prayer is simply talking to God. Well, if I could pray like him or pray like her, then it wouldn't be your prayer. It would be theirs. Prayer should be particular. Pray for kings and those who are in authority. Oh my, did you know that your prayers matter? Who are you praying? On your prayer list, you ought to have the folks that are representing you here in Delaware. You ought to be praying for your professors and your bosses, especially the ones that get on your nerves. Oh, somebody say amen. Here's a second reading. Public prayer by the church assures you a peaceful and quiet life. He says, so that you may live a peaceful and quiet life in, in godliness and holiness. How many of you want some peace and quiet? Somebody say amen. amen. So the Lord says, if a church makes prayer priority, if you prioritize prayer through public calling out to him, he said, I guarantee you peace and tranquility. Now, what that means, when the Lord talks about peace and tranquility, he's not talking about, he's not speaking quantitatively about your life. That is, well, God said I'm going to live until I'm 90. Didn't say that. Jesus only lived on the face of the earth, in the flesh, 33 years. So it's not the length of your days. It's the quality of life that you live during your days. The Lord never promises us prosperity in this life so if I just had a little bit more money if I got a nicer car and if I can move out of this house and get some new appliances and people people quote this scripture: to be loved I pray that you may prosper in all things and being good and he- good health just as your soul prospers this is a prayer request this is not a blank check he said, "I pray that you would be in good health. That's my prayer. I pray that you will prosper. But here's what I guarantee you: is that your soul is anchored. Your soul is fine. Now I pray that your your financial and and, and your emotional and physical will line it line up. But it may not. But if your soul is anchored, come with me." We understand that God is causing all things, not just innocently and, 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 and apathetically sitting somewhere in heaven, twiddling his thumbs. The Bible said he causes all things. He is in the midst of everything that you're going through, and he's orchestrating it in such a way that when the music is done, when the sympathy, symp- sympathy mm-hmm, is finished, that the music Will play a melodious, melodious sound to his glory. Somebody say amen. amen. Symphony. That's what I was trying to say. Are you still with me? Here's what praying publicly does when he talks about a quiet and tranquil life. Externally, prayer impacts the hand of God in this way. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, it says that the hand, that the heart of the king is in the hand of God like rivers of water. He said, I turn it wherever I will. If my people who are called by my name would what? Humble themselves and pray. And turn from way. the Lord says, if we pray, I will work in such a way that the heart of the president of the United States, that the heart of the Congress and the Senate, the heart of your boss, will be like rivers of water in my hand. And I will turn it. I know who will bring this shutdown to a halt. And his name ain't Donald Trump. Nancy Pelosi, his name is Jesus. I wonder if you tried him. <laughs> I-, I wonder if you've ever called him when you really understood that if he doesn't intervene, somebody say, "Amen." amen. And so the tranquillity, it's external. He will move upon the heart of the king, because the Bible says the Bible says that, that the, the effectual prayers of the righteous have great benefit with God. Stay with me. Internally, prayer brings contentment and inner calm. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, be anxious for nothing by by prayer and supplication. Let your request be what? Made known unto God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart. What God will do he didn't promise that you won't have storms in 2019. I don't care what they said on TV. That's a lying devil. You are going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. But you can be like Paul and Barnabas after they've been beaten and lied on, falsely accused, arrested, lying in a dungeon, shackled, the Bible said, around midnight. Anybody have, have you ever had a midnight experience? Have you ever been trying and you just can't stop, the tears are flowing, you're hurting and there's nobody else that seemed to be able to intervene or make your situation better? The Bible says that Paul and Silas began to pray and began to call on the name of the Lord and the Lord heard them. What I'm trying to say that in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their pain, they were calm. They were collect, collected. They were tranquil, because prayer will allow you to have, the Bible says, "They who keep their minds stayed on him." Yeah. He said, "I'll give you what." The problem with us, the reason we don't have any peace, is our minds are not on Him, and what keeps us focused on him is our communication with him through. Prayer is like playing catch. The devil throws you a, a dart, throws you a, throws you a ball of flame, a, an attack. Comes and you can catch it. Yeah, he didn't say we wouldn't catch it. The Bible said, but no weapon formed against you. It won't prosper. The only reason it won't prosper, prosper, because he said, cast what you can't cast, throw it, release it, give it. When you come, to, release it, and he will carry it because he cares. He's a good catcher. <laughs> all you got to do is cast. Public prayer by the church pleases God. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who whose desire that no man be, that all would be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. The medium that God, this Bible says that God is pleased to lead people out of darkness into light when we pray for them. And He says, not only do I bring them out of darkness through salvation in Christ through your prayers, but he says that they come to a knowledge of truth. The second aspect, once somebody gets saved, is that this is discipleship. God says, I use prayer to mature people. Are you still with me? God uses prayer. I want you to imagine that you wrote a book, and your book has about 1,000 pages in it and you advertise it on TV, and you give highlights about what the book is about, in order for someone to actually know the content in the book that's already written, guess what they got to do? They got to get the book, and then they got to what? Here's what happens when we pray. The Bible says that the names of those who are going to be saved are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and in the Book of Works. When I call out to God in prayer, it's like me having my book. In order for me to know what, whoever's reading my book, what's in the chapter, you've got to turn the pages. And so what prayer does for the unbeliever who is already recorded in land, book, love, prayer turns, turns the pages of salvation history. What God already knows becomes known to us. When you pray somebody into the kingdom, it's turning page. And somehow, don't ask me to explain it, if you don't turn the page, the name doesn't ever show up. Don't ask me to explain it. Now that doesn't mean that the name is re- is removed, but it doesn't show up to you because when the name shows up to you, because you led somebody to Christ through the medium of prayer, what the Bible says, you and I get a chance to do with all the angels. I don't even believe the angels know whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But when we pray someone into the kingdom, the Bible says, for every lost sinner that is saved, a party is thrown in heaven. So when I am pleasing God through prayer to lead someone to Christ and disciples. In the maturity, we get to have a party in Jesus' name because we're turning the pages of prayer. You get to see what God otherwise would conceal from you. Public prayer pleases God. Here's the final thing. Public prayer by the church gives access to God. The Bible says we have one mediator between God and man. That man is Christ Jesus I have access to God through Jesus. I don't have to go through a priest. I don't care. You may love the pastor. Oh, if we could just get the pastor and the elder. You don't have to wait for us. There's one mediator between God and man, and his name is not Benson. His name is Jesus. His name is not Pope Benedict. His name is Jesus. And the word mediator means arbitrator. An arbitrator is one who brings about peaceful relationships between former enemies. This is called reconciliation. You've been down a family court, you've been in trouble down at the court, you need an arbitrator, somebody to bring about peace between. Now, what, what we, we were enemies, enemies of God until Jesus stepped in. He's our arbitrator, he, He's our em- embungsman. He's the one who comes in between and advocates for us. came from heaven to earth, and as he was hanging on the cross, he was reaching from the cross to heaven and reaching down the earth to us, bringing about peaceful relationship between former enemies. We have access to God through prayer, through our mediator. We have redemption. The price of our sin has been paid for, and we have clarity of understanding because of prayer. He says that our, the, and, and, and the scripture says that your sins have been paid for. When you get a chance to read those verses through the shed blood of Jesus, He said, access to God also gives us the opportunity. When you read the passage, now you can be a proclaimer. You can share the gospel because of what prayer has made available to you when the church comes together and calls on God. And then Paul said, you know what? Prayer also allows me to to use gifts that I didn't have. Prayer releases gifts. He said it was through the laying on of hands, Timothy, that you came to know what your gifts are. If you don't come to church and allow public prayer to occur, sometimes God wants to speak a word over you. That word will never be spoken over you, and that potential in you will never be released. So Paul says, I'm a minister of the gospel because of prayer and the plan of God. And then the final thing, he says, that prayer gives me access, he says, to lift up holy hands. (laughs) It allows you to genuinely pray. The Bible says, we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our weaknesses, but Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. I can come confidently, boldly, because I have access to him through prayer. I don't need an appointment. I don't need to get on the schedule. I can come at any time in full confidence that my heavenly Father will hear me because of the redemptive work of my mediator, whose name is Jesus, and I can lift up holy hands to him. Stand up with me, please. I wasn't always saved. My wife wife might question that sometimes even today. Sometimes I would get into situations at school, name calling, wolf ticket selling. And it would escalate into, let's take it outside. You all know what that meant. Now, we couldn't fight on the school ground, so I knew I didn't back down. Yeah, we can take it outside. That's right. Let me, let's just go on to, and if they would let me designate designate the location. I knew that I had two cousins who never went to school. They were on that corner, they were gang leaders. I didn't even mention their name in the argument because it wouldn't have been a fight. They would have just said, okay, forget it. But I knew if I could just get where David and Tyrone, (laughs) when they weren't in jail, if I could just get to that corner where they were, I wasn't going to lose. I have never lost a fight. When David and Tyrone, I I can also say whenever they were around, I had to fight. They would pick fights for me. But what I understood about how that relates to public coming together and praying, where two or three are gathered. He said in my name if you can just get to the corner where the Holy Spirit, God the Father and God the Son are through prayer. The scripture said we can we can what? Touch and agree and cause things to be bound and loosed. But the way that occurs is not by staying at home in 2019. But to do radical Relevant, rebooting means that we need to pray publicly as a church and we'll never lose. You can't lose when you're fighting and God is on your side because the battle is not ours. It's the Lord's. Let's pray.